Uh, This morning we begin a a study of Romans chapter 14 where Paul is helping the church to put theology in practice. That anyone who believes the Gospel, and not just believes it to be true, but believes it to be the, the, the core truth of their life, that person becomes a new creature. And as such, you are brought into, as a new creature, you are brought into fellowship with new creatures. But as you know, fellowship is not always an easy thing between brothers and sisters. And sometimes, even the mature in faith, people who have been disciples of Jesus, Christians for many, many years, can have issues with each other. And Paul describes these at the beginning of Romans chapter 14 as disputable matters. They're matters of opinion. And one of the things that happens when the church finds itself quarreling over these disputable matters is that not only are other people destroyed, but themselves sometimes are destroyed. Now, up here on the screen, we're going to have like a little 16-second video of what happens when a crane is not very careful in bringing down a grain elevator. Everybody gets hurt. The crane gets taken down with the building. And that's what happens so many times when these disputable matters become matters of quarrel between brothers in the church. Everyone is hurt. There's collateral damage. And so Paul wants the church in Romans chapter 14, the church in Rome, to understand that the grace you receive is the grace that you give. And so Paul begins the chapter writing in Romans chapter 14, verse 1, "...you accept the one whose faith is weak." without quarreling over disputable matters. And then towards the end of chapter 14, he says, Do not by your eating destroy someone, that is another person, for whom Christ died. Don't allow what it is that you're doing to destroy another brother in Christ, for someone for whom Christ has died. And then you drop down to verse 20, Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. And what Paul is saying is you, you don't destroy people because people are God's work. And if we as a church, and as individual members of that church, endeavor to build people, then God is going to build His church. And so this morning, we looked at the three, uh, the first three principles of acceptance that we find in chapter 14. Be impressed by the very fact that the Holy Creator God accepts you. We have to be impressed by the fact that, that God, who is holy and just and righteous, accepts us. Then number two, recognize that we have the same Lord in common. That we are both answerable to the same Lord. And then number three, identify your brother and sister. Identify your family. That quarrel that you're tempted to have is with a brother. That quarrel that you're tempted to have is with your sister. And in the church, as a family, there is a a, a lot of dysfunctionality that begins to make its way through the church family when these disputable matters become matters of, of fellowship. So what we want to do tonight in the time that we have left is to look at the remaining four principles of the seven that we find in chapter 14 that that talk to us about acceptance. So number four, remember the future judgment. Right after saying that we should not judge our brother, Paul says in Romans chapter 14, beginning in verse 10, why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us give an account of ourselves to God. 
Uh, quite frankly, I don't think that you can read those words without remembering what it is that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. He says, Do not judge, or you too will be what? Judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Uh, way too many disciples believe that Jesus is referring to suspending our critical faculties. That we, we no longer discern right and wrong. And if that were true, then we would not be able to follow the instruction that Jesus gives just a few verses later about recognizing false prophets. No, there is a sense in which judgment is, is part of what it means to be a discerning disciple. What Jesus, though, is referring to at the beginning of the chapter is the judgment that condemns people superficially. It's, 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 it's the, the judgment that, that Jesus calls the Pharisees out on because, because of something that they believe to be important in, in God's will and in God's salvation history. They are not able to see the truth and the greatness and the salvation that's available in Christ. And Jesus says, do not make judgments based on appearances. But look deeply at what is important and what is true and make judgments about me based on that. Now, what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, is that when you judge somebody, and it's through superficial means, that is the measure that you will get. And the reason that we are not to do this is because we are all going to stand before that same judge. And Paul is helping the church to, to understand and to put into practice that it's silly to, to try to take the place of Jesus as the Lord, and it's equally silly and disastrous to take, his, to take the place of God as judge. And so Paul reminds them of this fact by quoting Isaiah 45, verses 23, and, and about every knee bending and every tongue uh, confessing that, that, God, that, that, that God is the sovereign God. And every person will give an account of their life. And so it's a reminder that the grace you receive is the grace that you give. That you do not take the place of Jesus as Lord and you do not take the place of God as judge when it comes to these disputable matters with brothers and sisters in the church. And then number two, or this is actually number five, you resolve to love and not destroy. Injuring the faith of a brother or sister is out of character in the family of God. Paul writes in verse 13, Therefore let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, Make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Now, now the interesting thing here is that Paul does have a side that he believes is right. He says in verse 14, I am convinced, being per, uh, fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. Basically, he's saying eating the meat is fine. But if your brother has some real issues with it, then that means it's an issue for you. And so what he's, the principle that he's trying to, to use here is that the love that you receive in Christ is the same kind of love that you give to others, that you transmit to others. And so he continues in verse 15, If a brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Having grown up uh, uh, some years in Brazil really enjoyed getting acquainted with the Brazilian steakhouses, uh, the churrascarias that, that are all over and, and famous in Brazil. And what has happened over the past 20 years or so is that those Brazilian steakhouses have made them, their way into the United States. And even in, in San Antonio, we have four. We have Chama Gaúcha in Texas de Brasil, and Fogo de Chão in Gapão Gaúcho. 
And these steakhouses are places where they serve meat with a side order of meat with meat for dessert. That's all it is. It's just meat after meat after dish after dish of meat after meat after meat. If you like meat, then these are your people. Now, if you have a brother or sister who has really an issue with the eating of meat, and probably in the time of Rome it had to do with the meat that was being sacrificed to idols, but you might have a brother or sister who has an issue with eating meat, might even be a vegan, you don't destroy that person's reputation. And, and you certainly don't destroy that person. Why? Because they're a brother or sister in Christ. And, and you don't destroy that, that person standing in the church because we are all going to be judged. And you certainly don't invite them to dinner at a Brazilian steakhouse when you know that they have issues with the meat. Now, you might go by yourself or you might go with like-minded people, but you don't go with that person that has the struggle. And so in Romans 14, verse 22, he says, Whatever you believe about these things, you keep them between yourself and God. You keep disputable matters to yourself. And then the last thing that he says is you understand the kingdom rightly. Now, this is about perspective on things. Uh, When you think of the kingdom of God, what do you think of? When you think about the rule of God, that God is establishing His rule once again as sovereign, as king in the world, that He is Lord of His creation, what do you think of? And when you think of the kingdom of God, does it include this? Verse 17, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. In other words, things that, that are not really in, in the scheme of God's scope of salvation, all that important, but the kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. What Paul is saying there is that the kingdom of God is so much bigger than our hobbies and by our personal likes and dislikes and our tastes. The kingdom of God is so much bigger than our opinions. The kingdom of God is about the rule of God being established in the hearts of men. The kingdom of God is about the reversal of the effects of sin and creation in such a way that it replaces all of the the, the, the disruption and the decay and, and the pollution of sin by replacing it with peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And the kingdom of God is bigger than the MacArthur Park Church of Christ. Now know that we are a part of that kingdom, but the kingdom of God is worldwide. Its magnitude is, 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 is staggering when you think about the gospel and the way that it's changing lives in all of these different languages, in all of these different places around the world, in places where there's technology, in places that are as remote as have never heard of an iPhone. The kingdom of God is about changing the world. And, and I think that sometimes we need to be reminded that in the magnitude of, 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 of the kingdom, that these disputable matters do not really mean all that much. They're basically about taste. They're basically about our personal preference. They're basically about an opinion. They're basically, basically about something very, very personal to us. And I don't want to downplay that. But in terms of the kingdom's magnitude and, and the magnitude of the grace that is, is reaching people all over the world, these disputable matters should never, ever, ever be the termites that, that tear apart the fabric of the church. And Christians who bog down in disputable matters have lost sight 
of, of the magnitude of the kingdom of God and its greatness. They're the kind of Christians who are arguing over whether or not they should tailgate with hamburgers or carrot sticks when the Super Bowl is going on inside the stadium. What the kingdom of God is about is a lot more than these disputable matters. And then the last thing we'll look at tonight is one of the things that Paul calls us to do is, is not just to think that unity takes place because we all have the same Father or we have unity because we all meet at the same time at the same place, same day every week. He says you need to work for unity. In verse 19, let us make therefore every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. The unity of the church is not something that just happens. It takes effort. It takes work. And sometimes it takes sacrifice. And every church is constructed with the bricks of peace that are cemented together through edification. And in a sense, every member is a subcontractor with some piece of the responsibility of putting together a beautiful church in which God is pleased to dwell through His Spirit. And that means at times making... You know, making the effort means at times multiple efforts. You know, sometimes it means not just going the one mile, but going what? The second mile. And sometimes it's not just sacrificing a cloak, but sacrificing a tunic as well. And sometimes what it means is, is, is to really, really understand what it means to be humble before God and modest before God in dealings with brothers and sisters. And what it means is that sometimes it takes the growth of your heart and the growth of your, the magnitude of service in your soul in order for these things to be true. Now what Paul is talking about, you know, very important things when you, when you think about the scope of the Gospel. If the Gospel is able to change our relationship with God from, from condemnation and judgment to fellowship and adoption as a child and to change our relationship from that of guilt to that of not guilty, to move us out from under the wrath of God, to move us out from under the condemnation of God and bring us into the mercy and the compassion and the grace of God, then think about what that grace does on the, on the horizontal level with each of us. Paul is so concerned that the Gospel not be cheapened by personal taste and personal preference. Of all of these great things that he's written about in the first 11 chapters, is says when you get a hold of that and that gets a hold of you and that really changes you, then you begin to see what it is that God is trying to accomplish by bringing people, not just together, who say, yes, Christ is Lord, but they live His Lordship even with each other. And what it means to be conformed to the image of Jesus who didn't did not count equality with God something to be grasped, something to be held on to, but was able to empty Himself. Empty Himself and to take the form of a man, and not just a man but a servant, and not just one who is obedient but obedient to death, and not just death but death on a cross. When you begin to see the mileage that Jesus puts in in order for there to be unity between human beings and God, then the short distances that we have to go with each other over whether or not you drink wine, whether or not there are holy days, whether or not you eat meat, the three disputable matters that are discussed in Romans chapter 14, when you see the mileage that He has gone to make us one with, with God, then it's just a hop, skip, and a jump. It's, it's just inches. It's just centimeters for us to become one with each other.
Jeff's going to lead us in a song right now. And we're going to celebrate the grace of God that has come to us. And we're going to have some of our shepherds come down to the front. And if there are those that tonight have some need that they want to bring before the church, a need for prayer, a need for baptism, then our shepherds are really eager to talk to you about that happening tonight. And for the rest of us, we want to stand and we want to praise God with all of our heart. Let's stand and praise God together. who would like um, to take the Lord's Supper tonight. It's been prepared in this room in the back. If you'll go there while we sing the last